Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about burnout, COVID, and the Great Resignation. Friends, we enjoy podcasting because we're passionate about computers and sharing our experience of running systems at scale with the next generation. Would you help us fulfill our mission and consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast and offering feedback? Contact us at feedback at operations.fm. This week, we're talking about the effects, the long-term effects that COVID has had on the mental health of the workforce and on what has been phrased by some folks as the great resignation. Um, essentially, since the pandemic began, in the U.S. at least, a lot of folks are leaving their jobs without the intention of finding a new one. And this is disproportionately affecting women who are trying to take care of families and folks in minority communities who are struggling in other ways with the effects of um, with the effects of the pandemic. But in tech, this is a it's a really weird phenomenon. And we want to talk about it a little bit today on the podcast. I really think uh, to kind of just get started, I, I, I think the biggest thing is that it showed that remote work uh, does not in severely impact uh, work output and in, in most cases I, I would argue actually increases especially for for our industry um you know i imagine most of us uh, even if we deal with physical servers are not actually near where they are located so technically we're already remote even at the office from our actual work and if there's more than one location for your uh, business like say for instance developers are in another part of the country or, or wherever they may be then you have a distributed team and it's you're already air quote remote you're already meeting with online tools or, or collaboration tools that you would use if you were working remote so I, I think due to the lockdown and and various uh restrictions put in place during the during covid it forced companies to essentially allow remote work and then it proved that it was possible, and a lot of I think a lot of people figured out, hey, I actually want to keep this going uh, on now, so I'm going to go to another job where I can actually have remote work. I I keep getting you know, if you're not paying attention, I no longer reside in the United States. I keep getting pinged for jobs in the states with remote work, and then I'll read through it and say, till the end of COVID. <laughs> And it's exceedingly frustrating because, I mean, I'm not looking, but I will look at anything. And for me, that is like instant bleed. There's no need anymore. Well, the other funny thing you is know, that COVID's never really going to be over at this point. So we've, we went on remote. Well, yeah. So maybe I should look closer because, yeah, who knows when it's going to go, go away. Um, but it's, it's you know, it, it kills it. And I. And it makes me wonder about that business because it's almost like, a, well, what else are they doing? You know, am I going to go in and find ancient servers, bare metal that I got to babysit or what? what is going on? Or other culture-isms in the workplace that you don't agree with. Yeah. Well, a lot of, especially tech companies, were not at all prepared for remote work in terms of culture. And they scrambled, as we talked about in the, the podcast, shortly after the pandemic started, 
about how companies were trying to find monitors and keyboards and chairs to ship to their co-work to their employees that were suddenly all remote. And that's one thing. But when you haven't built a culture of remote work, um, we've talked about that many, many times in this podcast, it's really hard to break the mental model of, oh, when we'll go back to the office and everything will be fine. We'll go back to the way things have always been. But employees have experienced this major shift of, hang on, I don't have to commute anymore and I can drop by the school to pick up the kids or whatever it is and be right back at my desk in 15 minutes. So why do I, why would I ever go back to an office? Yeah, I recently, well, I, in the past few months, I've hired, hired two guys and one of which is further away than I am. And I, for me, it's, it's about an hour train ride to the office. And he's a little bit further and, you know, it was like, how many days a week do we need to come in? Well, we're going with two or three and oh, I can do that. And that's the thing, you know, if, if we say five days a week, our talent pool just shrunk tremendously. But we can say, you know, two or three days a week, come in, the rest of the time's remote, we're flexible. Everybody's cool with that. And I think it's also reasonable. As much as I really like remote work for all the reasons you just said, I find that the high bandwidth communications, especially in my company where most people I'm dealing with English isn't their first language and it the, the higher bandwidth in person is immensely necessary almost. Um, you know, having a couple of days where you can sit together and read facial, read hand gestures, and under get more from the person than just you would English when neither of you, you know, it's their first language. It's really beneficial, but it's not necessary five days a week. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that like being in the office is the most important thing ever, but it's been eye-opening to me that I want to say it was end of December that Apple finally announced that they were not going to keep on moving their window, their date for everybody comes back to the office and they finally said it'll be at some point. And I think Google has done the same and other companies are kind of falling into that. We keep on setting dates and moving dates and setting dates and moving dates. Let's just not set a date anymore. Cause this is not a thing that's going to be over in the classical sense of those words. Yeah. A lot of other companies have moved entirely to the idea that this part of the workforce, you know, th- these particular offices or these divisions or these teams they have remote employees who don't come to the office unless we're having an on-site, unless like the twice a year, whenever we travel again, if that ever happens. Um, that's when we'll see them, but not... I miss those. Well, yeah. But I'll throw a link to the show notes. Apple, I think it was December... It was just before Christmas, so I'll, I'll find the link in the, in the show notes about that, where Apple announced it. And a lot of folks are seeing mandatory return to office or mandatory office policies as a great opportunity to find a new job. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the, of how this shows in the tech industry. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, all you need is good broadband. If the company's going 100% remote or is willing to entertain that and you've got a skill set thereafter and can negotiate that, you can live anywhere. So you find... If you as a company want the most valuable and skilled employees then you need to be open from hiring from all over the world, wherever those those employees are. It's also wonderful because if you're willing to do that, now your talent pool that you're hiring from just grew tremendously. We've got a guy 
He started out in Rio, recently moved to Lisbon because didn't have to change languages, and he's fantastic. But it, I but that's the, the thing. It, it does. I was just saying, it, it go it your talent. You can hire from, you can open up to a bigger talent pool to choose from, and as an as somebody looking for work, it opens you up to more opportunities if the companies are willing to deal with it. Yeah, years ago, I toyed with the idea of moving to Panama because it's still in the main U.S. time zones. It has reasonable internet connectivity. It has reasonable like health insurance and healthcare and those things. The cost of living is significantly lower than here. It didn't work out for a number of reasons, including convincing the family that it would be a good idea. But the idea of of location flexibility when you are work from home is really, really tantalizing. One of my bosses at an old job who, this is pre-pandemic, was really good about, I'm going to you know get in the RV and we're going to, he and his family were going to drive around the country in the summer. And during the day, he'd be online working from the RV. And didn't matter that he was like on the highway wherever and his wife was driving or they were at a campsite and he was sitting on a chair in the woods. As long as he had internet, he was able to work. My wife wants to do similar. And part of me is like, that would be really awesome. But the larger part of me is, is deathly afraid of, you know, being parked in the hotel or in a parking lot with like Starbucks quality bandwidth. And (laughs) it just doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. That's 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 my fear that I still got to get over. Get a Starlink. <laughs> well, the, the real if answer you're driving is with that... an RV. That's good, but do you carry that in a bag? <laughs> I'd like to check this as I'm good on the plane. <laughs> but, but the real answer, you know, is that you, if you look ahead, you can find campsites that have internet access. Um, our former boss was talking about campsites that had fiber. So they had like real solid, significant connections and they'd be there for a week. Hey, so that week he knew. That's not fair. I can't even get fiber to my house. That's just not. <laughs> Move to a real country? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> sorry. You, you give us so much crap about how much better it is over there. Anyway. I've got fiber uh, in my front fair. yard. No, it doesn't go to my house, but it's still in my front yard. Yeah, I only have to go. I only have to move two or three blocks, and I can get it. It's being in the old part of town. Anyways, the the other big part about the whole massive switch to remote work, as it ties to the Great Resignation, is a lot of people. And we talked about this again when they started the whole pandemic remote work thing. They had no sense of why the boundary between personal life and work life was important. And they were used to putting in, you know, 50, 55 hour weeks at work. And now they're working from home and they don't have a commute. So, oh, that, that's quote work time because I was already using that time for work. And suddenly they're putting in 70 hour weeks. And after a couple of months that starts to wear, after two years, people are burning out. And it's really bad. I think this is where, for me, this hasn't been as big being in Europe is work-life balance is almost legally mandated. I mean, I have, I'm a full-time employee. I have a contract, but it is for 40 hours a week. And I contractually need to stick to that, which means I don't burn out. 
And that's been a big thing for my own, you know, mental health is I set the expectation of this is what I'm going to be at my computer. These are my normal hours. They're on my, my Gmail calendar thingy. And I'm going to be there 40 hours a week. Well, I think we've, I mean, we've talked about the work from home stuff before. And that's one of the things that if you're working from home, you kind of have to do is put a line of this is work. This is home. The hardest really thing for me is making that transition from the office to the family. At yeah. one point before COVID, I was renting an office that you know, I actually had to drive to gasp. And you know, that drive was a wonderful border between new work and, and home life. And having built an office at the house, you know, I have less of that. And that's definitely something I've had to be aware of. Yeah, it's funny. I, I have a specific you know, room that's my office and here and the kids, if I'm not on the Xbox, the kids see the the screen lit up. Daddy's at work. Even if I'm playing on personal stuff, if I'm in, in the office and it's not gaming, daddy's at work. Yeah. And I watched coworkers struggle with this, that they were, they were used to having the, physically being in an office be the, the barrier that kept them from having their entire life get consumed by work. And it isn't there anymore. Yeah, you know, when you look up and the lights are turned out and everybody's left and you, you think, oh, well, <laughs> crap, I should go home now. I mean, that's a thing. Well, that helps. If you're at that, that point, that pattern you're... helps keep you healthy. <laughs> You've been working on a call. Yeah. yeah, if you're the last one there, we already got a problem. Yeah, and, but, and aside from on call, I'm usually pretty good about having a pretty defined time with my peers, my coworkers, my colleagues, my bosses, other teams and say, look, outside of these hours, I am unlikely to respond because I'm not checking my chat messages at yeah. nine o'clock at night. I don't do that generally. Now, if there's a crisis or whatever else, please feel free to reach out because that's part of what we do. But a lot of my coworkers, I see them logged in at, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, like on a Friday night. I was like, folks, no, really no. Because my, my mental health has been suffering recently just from all of the stress of COVID and everything. And I can't imagine how theirs is doing. And especially with the global teams, I mean, it's, you know, nine o'clock on a Friday night, that's somebody's work day. And it's easy to, you know, get caught up in a conversation and asking questions and, and it's, you know, it's kind of a thing because people work in different time zones. It was amusing. I was on vacation and I brought my personal laptop because I'm a geek. And I was, my Slack on that has our chat and some other personal ones, but also logged into work. And there was a conversation going on in the work channels about something that I was the resident expert on. And I chimed in and was immediately jumped on by somebody get the hell out of here you're on holiday leave us go spend time with the family i applaud that that is actually really really yeah yeah (laughs) but it was also it's the culture here of works work home life home life um but it's you know that that is something that the u.s is gonna you know as they go with you know now you can live anywhere and people, they may start hiring remote employees. What is going to be the cultural of, well, you know, 
it's after five, I'm not working. You know, that some countries, that's the way it works. And, you know, we all know that's kind of not in the States. So I lived in the Middle East for a number of years in the United Arab Emirates. And there was a university that was not where I was working, but it was, a, I had some friends who were there. And they talked about the, the IT staff there, essentially at five o'clock in the afternoon, six o'clock in the afternoon, they'd shut everything down and go home because nobody lived on campus, nobody stayed, and there's no point leaving the things running. So after hours, you just couldn't get anything done because they literally turned things off as they left. And that's the <laughs> ultimate version of this, of like... And hmm. hit that EPO button on your way out. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that one. <laughs> and that's a little extreme. I mean, this this, again, this was many years ago, and I'm dating myself, but... I kind of have a, I sympathize with that. Like that, that's a, that's a more healthy thing to do than the people who are logged in literally all the time. And on their kitchen table is a laptop that is wired into work and has notifications turned on. And when somebody, you know, doesn't, does something, they hear about it, like in the middle of dinner or whatever else. And that's not, there's a balance that has to be found. I'm always concerned when I see a colleague that I work with that doesn't have a dedicated space. Or a dedicated machine. Ooh. Eh, dedicated machines, you kind of hand it out, but at many places. But folks working in the kitchen, folks that move from room to room uh, in their house. And, you know, you, you when somebody's Zoom background changes, you know, <laughs> that's the most significant clue I get that something significant has happened in, in their life. And, you know, sometimes I want to make some chit-chat. So I don't have the same view you do about dedicated space. Um, we are, we have been in that space, Jack, you and I, and actually all, all four of us of having been doing work from home for so long that we're accustomed to claiming a portion of a room True. or a whole room that is just for us. And for a lot of folks, when they bought their house or when they signed their lease contract or whatever it was, they were never thinking about having a whole space dedicated to this is where I work all the time. And it's kind of ridiculous to ask people, even now, to add to a room to their because, house or to move or yeah. to whatever because <laughs> of the pandemic, which in theory is short lived. Um, I mean, laughably, we <laughs> joked about the pandemic Very, being yeah. a couple of months when it started on this podcast. And here, two years later, it's still. We did? Yeah, we did. Go on. Um, Oops, well, a little bit wrong. Since about we that moved one. during the pandemic, I and had since I also had been working from home for years before that. That was one of the things we looked at when we were looking at houses: is is there a space that can be my office? And luckily, we were able to do that. But I, one of the guys I just hired just the other day, he was we were having our daily stand up, and he was very obviously in in his kitchen. And I don't think he realized his camera was on as his wife was cooking breakfast behind him in her pajamas. Yeah, oh, very nice. It's, it's part of how we, we look at things now, but the four of us have been in the work from home thing for so long that when we look for things, that is part of the default assumption. But for a lot of folks, if you're living in a major city, if you're living in San Francisco or in New York or even to a lesser degree like Atlanta, space is a premium. And having another bedroom essentially or having a, an extra bonus room that you're going to use just for work 
raises your rent or raises your mortgage significantly. So that to me isn't as much of a, you must find a dedicated space. But for me, it is, you must find a dedicated machine. Work gives you a machine. Use that machine for work. Do not put your work stuff on personal and do not put personal on work. Do not mix the two. Never, Never cross that barrier. Don't cross the streams. Already that's gone. One of, the, yeah, that's one of the things I have done for a very long time. Is work machines or work personal or personal? Don't confuse the two, because invariably something happens. You turn it in and you're embarrassed, or legal shows up and needs your laptop because of something that's happened. And well, yeah, yep. And wow, Jared's mic is working. I was going to say, was that spoken from experience? <laughs> no. But I, I have known... I'm going to plead the fifth. I've known a shocking number of people... doesn't cover me anymore. I've known a shocking number of people in this field that I've worked with or that I've you know worked close to who use their work machine as a personal device and didn't have a personal device to use. And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's the company yeah, laptop, they... but I, I get to use it. It's mine to use, right? I'm I'm guilty of doing that early on. Um, just because of cost, right? Like I just didn't want to spend the money on a three or you know, two or three thousand dollar laptop when I had one right there. Uh but over time I've I've learned and I no longer do that. I think the only time I did it to a serious extent was when I was self employed because I knew the boss couldn't come take the machine because I was self employed. But other than that, it's just not worth the gamble. We've met and the enemy and he is us. All, I, yeah. But I, we, well, three of us worked for the same individual that did its, did just that. And I remember he definitely could afford it. We were under him and we, at some point, he's like, well, the, he had to send it back. But now I don't have a now I don't have a machine for anything. It's got my personal bank stuff on there. Why the hell were you doing your own personal banking on a work machine? Now, like logging in to check like Gmail on a person on a work machine to get a bank statement, for example, or to get some other piece of documentation. Oh yeah, that's fine. I'm not I'm not talking about that particular that. aspect, but like casual web browsing or any kind of creative enterprise where you're saving or creating work? No. Hard stop. I think another another reason we're seeing the air quote great resignation is that while maybe on the higher end of the pay scale is actually possibly seeing a little bit of a, a suppression uh, due to uh, companies wanting to do cost of living adjustments and those kinds of things, especially for those who maybe used to live in higher pay slash higher cost of living areas and moved. We are also seeing people who are living in lower cost of living or cost of living slash uh, cost of labor areas who are able to get remote positions that may pay a little bit higher than their area supports. And therefore, they're resigning because they're like, hey, I can go work for a company Y and get paid twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more. I'm going to go do it. Yeah, Wired had an interesting article um, called the great, the great Resignation Attack is Actually the Great Re- Reconsideration. And it was, we're not resigning to not find a new job in tech. We're resigning because there are better options now available easily. I mean, COVID exploded the whole cloud economy, really, since everyone was moving from home and moving into the cloud. 
and a lot of those positions really exploded. Um, so there were a lot of opportunities for folks that were, you know, us IT bros that are good at our jobs. Um, I took one. Well, especially the, I'll, I'll call them middle-sized tech companies, and I don't mean that in a diminutive way, but like Reddit had a blog post shortly after the pandemic started where they were talking about essentially they were ending salary level, salary banding geographically in the U.S. That their their position was, we are looking for the best talent we can get. We need people who can legally work in the U.S. for various legal and contractual reasons, but we're not going to have San Francisco pay different than Boise, Idaho. And if you were living somewhere remote, suddenly this opened up an entirely new category and class of, of job for you, which you were not able to get without significant pain, commute, move, whatever before. And a lot of like the, the Fang, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google are still very much in the, you have to live in a certain re region or whatnot. But a lot of the smaller, just slightly smaller tech companies said, no, we'll hire anybody. That's fine. You show up, you do the work, we'll pay you. We'll pay you well. I, I think we're seeing a lot of talent who are who's discovering that and embracing that. I mean, we had, I had a coworker who, or not a coworker, um, I, there was somebody on a team near me that was looking at moving to a finance startup. And I don't blame them because the finance folks really don't care where you live at this point and are well healed. With all of the, the craziness in the market, there's a lot of, Interesting opportunities there if you're willing to jump into finance. I'm not personally one of them. I'm, I've made my position clear on on all of those things on this podcast in the past. Brendan does but, not um, want to be paid in a Bitcoin. <laughs> or an altcoin or any of those things. And I also don't want to work for high-frequency high traders. I have, I have my own particularly bizarre set of morals and standards that I'm not willing to violate. But for a lot of folks, suddenly... The market is wide open and I have, a, I have another friend who works for a company in Atlanta and he had been commuting down and talking about, okay, well, I'll move eventually and had an apartment in Atlanta and he'd go down, you know, a couple days a week kind of thing. And now he's, he's dropped the lease in Atlanta. He lives in North Carolina. He's totally happy just being where he is. His family's happier that he's not, you know, driving around all the time. And the company said, yeah, you just stay where you are. Don't worry about it. So he's in, not rural, but he's in Western North Carolina making a downtown Atlanta, downtown Atlanta salary. That's not a bad thing in his book. Oh. That's nice. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think we're going to continue to see that, uh, that trend. And, and I would love to see more companies embrace like what Reddit and, and other companies have done, which is basically said, we're going to, for, for this uh, level, we're going to pay this salary range and then the the you know the modifiers would be in uh years of experience or or the normal things and and cost of living slash cost of labor would just be not factored in at all and i think for large part as we walk forward in this situation that will probably be what comes out at the end it'll be a number of years to get there or decades but i think that's very much where we're headed but what's it going to mean for the you know, Apple, Facebook, the, the big boys who, you know, part of part of their cachet is that they're in the valley and pay lots, you know, but part of the reason is it's also so expensive to live there. Well, as they 
allow people to be elsewhere, how do you justify all that real estate in the valley? Keeping your office space? <laughs> yeah. It's a good question. You build a no, spaceship, a grounded agree. spaceship in Cupertino, the, now you don't have people to put in. And part of the Silicon Valley um, salary thing was competition for the labor was so intense that you knew that, well, if we don't pay them enough, they'll just go somewhere else or they'll start here. And six months later, somebody else will offer them more money and they'll go. So we need to make sure that we have these long running like stock vesting plans that best over years to keep people from bolting. If the labor pool is suddenly much more open, that dynamic changes dramatically and it's going to, it's going to hurt a lot of things in terms of real estate in the Valley. It's going to really upset the, the dynamic of the labor market, but there's so many tech companies in Silicon Valley. I don't think it's actually going to, I don't think it's, it's going to really fundamentally break that model, but it's going to change it. And part of the model that's changing is if you've got a company and I mean, it doesn't matter if you're manufacturing horseshoes at this point, if you're not somehow a tech company that, you know, runs an infrastructure to sell those you know, horseshoes online, um, then will you be a successful company? So the idea of, of tech being, you know, a, a division of, you know, these thing like companies, you no know, tech is going to be, you know, 80% of, of the companies out there are going to be very much dependent on their tech workforce. And obviously those all aren't fitting in downtown San Francisco. I do want to close out with a comment about the proportions in the workforce of who is leaving. And I don't have the actual numbers in front of me. I was trying to find it while y'all were talking, but the number of women leaving tech has been really high for the past 10 years. But this getting women in tech is has, hard, but this has mm. been harder because a lot of to, for a lot of folks, um, the default caregiver role falls to women in families. So they're faced with, I keep my career continuity going and I'm doing all these things at work, or I take care of my kids. I take care of my family. I, and by and large, and when there's when no child care options available because COVID or well, I, I'm really tired of having my four-year-old walk into the middle of a video call or whatever it is. Women are leaving tech and they're leaving tech that rapidly too. now. And this is getting so much worse. This is going to be a generational impact in terms of breaking careers and changing the course of gender balance in workforces, especially especially tech workforces. And it makes me breaking really- Breaking companies and changing the course of cultures. I mean, we make better products, we build better infrastructures when our teams are diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And really, the thing left to cover is how do we build up folks that are new, are learning, are interested in better jobs, higher skill sets to get you know, themselves into and situated in the tech career? Uh, most of the great resignation is with um, folks in the hospitality industry and, and low pay, each low paying workers. And yeah, your server shouldn't be dependent on you to tip them to, to make a living wage. Yeah. 
or that, you know, hey, I have to go out to eat, so the servers have to be there for me, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna, not going to have a mask on, but they have to wear one all day while they're around me breathing on them. Or healthcare workers. Nah, I don't... Yeah. Or the folks driving Talk about burnout. for Uber. God, I don't know how anybody did that to this, to be trapped in a car all day. I didn't like getting on the trains here to go <laughs> with all the people. I can't imagine being in a car with them all day. Get and them. honestly, COVID. that speaks to our privilege of we are well-employed, possibly overemployed tech workers who didn't have to struggle with a lot of the things that other folks did when the pandemic yeah. started. And I feel a fair amount of a fair amount of guilt about that, that we... We were largely the word we, yeah, we were largely yeah, unimpacted by the scary part of COVID, where you have to choose between putting your life at risk and being able to pay for food. Yeah, that is totally, totally crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, we like we said just a few minutes ago. You know, the Great Resignation is not us. Some of it is, and it, it our field is certainly changing because of it. But the people that were resigning are the servers, are the nurses, are the people that, truck drivers. I may not agree with the tactics in, of the drivers in Canada, but I get it. They've been forced to keep working no matter what. And the Great Resignation is the, the tip of the iceberg of a rapidly changing economy and culture. And we can fight against it and demand you be in the office and wonder why you quit or we can choose to embrace it and embrace the post-covid economy that that will be created and i think a lot of us really want to get back to the same old same old because you know we'll get back to the, the same old same old as i rub my fingers together but really if we're you know, have that entrepreneurial sense we've got to be able to embrace the unknown and walk forward with, with how things are going to change in the new economy, because that's really what we're, we're trying to deal with and, you know, quietly tiptoe around. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show in overcast, Apple podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you would like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good resignation? So folks, if you're still listening... Next episode will be a little bit different. We are dabbling with an idea of looking at something a little more lighthearted than obviously this episode has been. 